Hello and welcome to the Heritage Month series. The Heritage Month is brought to you by 97.3 CTFM every month of March. And we try to tell you the authentic Ghanaian story. We bring you historians, culturalists, anthropologists, uh, Ghana-loving people who have studied the history of Ghana. And they share their thoughts and some historical um, occurrences with us here on the show. And today I'm talking to Gertrude Sarah Edu. Gertrude is an affiliate of the Institute of African Studies, University of Ghana. And we are talking about cultural nationalism. Now, it's important that we talk about the nationalism uh, struggles to get a sense of where we were, where we got to, where we are now, and where we are going to. And get to Sarah Edu is my guest this morning on the Heritage Month series to talk about cultural nationalism. And this conversation will primarily be based on the period between 1889 and 1897 with reflections from other periods and i'm glad to say welcome to you gertrude sarah edu thank you i hope you are well i'm very well by those grace how about you i'm I'm good i'm good i'm good i'm good quick count i've I've interacted with about five uh historians and you are you are about the sixth in the series that i'm talking to but when it comes to the male historians they are quite a lot is, well, I wouldn't say I'm a historian yet because I'm still studying. Well, <laughs> once a student of history, I, 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 yeah, we can, we can easily approximate you to, to, to being a historian. Why is it that we have a lot of male figures in the history conversation or the study of history or the historical industry, if I should put it that way? Um. You cannot really tell the reason why it happens so. Maybe it's because um, ladies may not be interested. You cannot really tell. But the numbers, obviously, the males are more than the females. In, but but in if, you, if you if you look at the industry now, are we getting a lot more females now? Is, is there um, interest for history well, by... I, I can really back to I used to see. Mm-hmm. I was the only lady. There were about 20 guys in history and the history and politics section, my mate. And I was the only lady in the class. And then here at Legon too, I was the only person. I see. I cannot tell for those in the main history, I mean, um, department, you know, mm. because African studies, we have the history and politics section, and then we have the history department as a whole. So I cannot really speak for those in the main history department. Mm. I mean, but, but in, from my own experience, I can say that very often the males um, dominate in, um, in my class. Okay. So we are talking about cultural nationalism and, and, and linking it to the foundation of Ghana and this 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 is a key topic that we really need to talk about um, how did you come about researching into this particular topic what why why the interest in this okay so um I think it's it's because of my background in African studies so mm-hmm. we we study issues in Africa and sometimes we go beyond Africa because Africa's history is linked with Europe. Yeah. So um, based on our studies in Africa, we, I mean, automatically I had to study this area of um, in history. And I developed a lot of interest in cultural nationalism because very often when historians are talking about um, nationalism, the nationalism struggle in Ghana or the independence struggle in Ghana, they omit the cultural aspect of it because, I mean, Academics actually try to differentiate between cultural nationalism polit- and political nationalism, but then it's 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 linked to political nationalism, and so we needed to talk about these things because in Ghana, in the in the in the case of Ghana, 
political nationalism emerged from cultural nationalism. And we will get to that soon. The Fanti Amenbuhunfeku, how it's it metamorphosized into the ARPS, the Aborigines Right Protective um, Protection um, Society, and then eventually to other um, political groups. Okay. Yeah. Let me ask you a straightforward question. What is cultural nationalism? Yes, so cultural nationalism basically refers to ideas and practices okay. that are intended to revive a nation's history and identity. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the basic definition of cultural nationalism. But it isn't um, it, it, it isn't um, homogeneous in, in, in nature because people uh, ascribe different definitions to cultural nationalism depending on where you are. So, I mean, in order to situate our discussion in a proper context, we need to look at the history of cultural nationalism nationalism so that we'd, we'd be able to um, tease out the Ghanaian or the Gold Coast perspective of what cultural nationalism is about. So cultural nationalism um emerged somewhere in late 18th century Europe mm-hmm. and more specifically central and northern Europe and it was within or it was within a period where there were there were developments of ideas about culture about politics whether we're going for constitutional politics I mean um, historicism there were there were lots of developments at that time and intellectuals in northern and in central Europe realized their backwardness in comparison to French dominance at the time and in order to stand out as unique people they they, they taught the need for them to identify themselves with their culture because it was um, by means of their culture that they would stand out and so they took prestige in their culture in order to develop so it was in in the case of europe it was more of invention cultural invention as compared to what happened in africa now as time went on cultural nationalism began to spread and in the case of africa and in the case of gold coast to be more specific it's ours was not invention, but ours was more of reclaiming our culture because of our history of slavery mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. So, and the, um, the emergence of colonialism and European influences. Mm-hmm. So, in the case of Europe, like I said in, um, early on, it was more of invention, cultural invention to develop their country. To gain prestige in the world, global prestige. But in the case of Gold Coast, it was more of reclaiming our culture, reclaiming our identity that we were losing to the Europeans, who at the time were at the verge of colonizing us. I see. So, 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 um, in Europe, Paris was a dominant. Um, force. Mm-hmm. So other countries in North, Northern Europe um, and even Eastern Europe and Central Europe, they, they try to forge their own identities. Yes. Which, which drove their sense of unity, mm-hmm. their sense of purpose mm-hmm. and it, 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 it drove and catalyzed their development and then their independence of sorts. Yes. And we also picked the same in, in Ghana but our approach was a bit different. Yes, so um, in, 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 in in intellectuals in Northern Europe, I mean, realized that in order for them to develop, they needed to and develop and stand out uniquely in, in the global world. They needed to come out with a unique identity. And they could only identify with that identity from their culture. You know, there are no two cultures that are the same. Mm-hmm. Even among Fantis. The um, Aquisidae, we have Aquisidae Kesi and Aquisidae yeah. or something, yeah. Even that, it is not the same festival. Mm-hmm. Yes, so it means that there is no two culture, or there are no two cultures that are the same. So they needed to pick 
a unique identity that they could sell out. Mm. And that is why it becomes a worry sometimes when, I mean, we struggle as, as, as Ghanaians to come out with a unique identity that sets us apart from the world. You understand? So that was what they were, they were questioning for, that we come out in our... In our in, 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 um, in our path to development, we need to come out with a certain form of identity. And that identity will make us stand out as unique persons globally. Because, mind you, the French also had a form of identity, being their language and other means of, you know, during colonialism, you could only be called a French if you, 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 were, you were assimilated by means of their culture, being able to speak the French, French language, language and having some French etiquette mm-hmm. and all that. So that was what the French were doing. So they also had to come up with something that would make them stand out as unique people. And they used their culture as a means to um, develop. And so this was more of cultural invention. Mm-hmm. But in the case of Africa... And more specifically, Gold Coast, because of our history of slave trade and the emergence of colonialism and the influences of European culture, we needed to reclaim it because we were gradually losing it to European culture. So which groups or which movements began the shifts? Um, back in the days. Okay, so at the time there were there were there were a lot of um, societies in Gold Coast. There were the philanthropic society. There were the debating, the literary club, and all that. But um, one major group that had a cultural underpinning was the Fante Amembuhu Feku. The Fante National Society, and they had um, begun to realize the the demoralizing effect of European influences, and they sought to correct that. That was their main agenda. They sought to correct these demoralizing effects, and so one of the things, the practical steps they took was to first collect, discuss, and then compile native languages. Um, 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 our native languages, our dresses, our cuisine, everything African or everything Ghanaian. Let me put it that way. Oh, maybe that time we were not Ghanaian yet, so we'll say God Coasters, you know. <laughs> yeah. but it, was, it was more of a fancy movement at mm-hmm. the time. Yes, so they needed to come up with all these things, these practical steps. They needed to take these practical steps in order to reclaim our culture which we were losing at the time to European influences. So the Fante Amembu Feku had that mission of reclaiming what we were losing, the aspect of culture that we were losing to the Europeans. Were they successful? They were. They, they were. So let me give you an example. In um, 1907, um, um, the ARPS were celebrating the how do I call it? Should I say a century mm-hmm. after the paperwork of slavery and the end of slavery? You know? yeah. So, in, I mean, by paper, we say that slavery was ended in 1807. Yeah. But practically, but practice, it wasn't. Yeah. Yes. So, but um, there appears, I don't know why, how come, but they chose to celebrate that. And in, in that celebration, John Mason Saba, who had championed the course of going back to wearing African clothes, you know, wore that wore his African MKNT to, to, the, to the various programs that they held. And the first day, you know, people kind of had this look at him. But then eventually he got people also to, Doing to, the same. to wear it. But the one thing I need to say is that cultural nationalism or the agents of cultural nationalism are intellectuals and artists. Mm-hmm. And these intellectuals, they spread their vision to the intelligentsia. Yeah. 
and the intelligentsia will say the 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 businessmen, occupational women, men and women, and all that, and they intend um, um, give it out to the masses. So it was at, within that period the cultural um, culture awakening cultural consciousness, the waking of cultural consciousness was also emerging. So I would say that to, ve- to, to, to some extent they were very successful. But then because of the, 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 the way European influences had at the time been ingrained in many Ghanaian heads, you know, it was quite a challenge. But they didn't give up. Because eventually they moved to another form of association known as the Gone Fantasy Movement and all that. Yeah. So they were they were they were quite successful. Mm. And and you know, even now, so there was um there's this um scholar in cultural nationalism who made a prediction that cultural nationalism should not be left in the face of or in the face prior to um political nationalism. Mm-hmm. Because cultural nationalism continues yeah. even after political nationalism and the emergence of independence or whatsoever thing because it is a battle and he predicted that the colonial um, globalization effect on cultural national um, globalization effect on on a nation's culture mm-hmm. for which reason cultural nationalism must must, Still must continue on. exactly reason why i asked whether they were successful is that um so they try to use a lot more African names, sing a lot more African songs, dance, uh, develop African dance forms or Ghanaian dance forms or Gold Coast dance forms and African instruments in churches and all that. But you, you'd also realize that consistently the anglicized local names are still in use. Mm-hmm. Consistently, people still kept their European names. People still aspired for the European lifestyle. That's why I'm asking whether they were successful. And it's run through even to modern like, day so Ghana. You, so you can even use my name as an example. <laughs> yes, Gertrude I mean, Sarah Edu. I mean, how, how come um, anytime I go out there and people, um, I, mean, I, I mentioned Gertrude, I mentioned Sarah, and they go like, so how come you alone have two fancy names? Mm-hmm. You know, so um, with some of these things, I would say that it's a test people developed, mm-hmm. you know, and it is the reason why we need to um, 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 Institute some form of, should I say, educational policy mm-hmm. that will champion this course. You know, they're making the Fanspin School was basically as a result of um, the cultural consciousness at the time. Because they, they realized that um, the Fanti intellectuals at the time realized that John Mesa Saba realized that the form of education that was going on in the country at the time was mainly about Europe. Yeah. And events that were happening in Gold Coast. The people who were being educated, the locals who were being educated, they don't know about it. And so it became a challenge and realized that we need to set up a school that will champion this course. You understand? But then all of, all, um, in, in the course of time, you know, we've had several educational reforms. And these reforms, I don't know, one in one way or the other, had not really pushed the cultural aspect. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a problem. Because when you step out there and you, you are unable to identify yourself as a Ghanaian or as a Fanti or an Ewe, then it becomes, I mean, you're, you're kind of lost because you are, your identity is your everything. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, Cultural nationalism is still is something that we still need to fight. It is not something in the past. It is still present and something we, especially in the face of globalization, mm. we still need to champion that cause. Let's go back to the 1889s. So you mentioned that there were a lot of groups, but uh, one of the key or the outstanding groups, uh, one of the uh, outstanding groups was the Fante National Society. Mm-hmm. How oh, how Fante Amembuhu Feku Fante. Amambu Feku. Feku. You know Amambu is government. Yes. Yeah, so Amambu Feku. 
how how was it founded? Who were the people behind it? What were some of the things that they they did, and how did they um, go about the activities to to ensure that they got the population along, um, um, and and to ensure that they inspired the people to move along with them? Um, so it was um, it was founded by key persons like John Minister Sabah, mm-hmm. um, Ato Ahoma, who f- was formerly known as um, Samuel Richard Brew Solomon. Samuel Richard, Richard Bruce Solomon. Solomon. So he dropped that for <laughs> his dropped the four proper and name. Yes, Ato Ahoma. Ato Ahoma. He, Samuel he was a reverend, Richard Methodist Reverend Minister. Bruce Solomon. Yeah, Samuel, Samuel <laughs> Richard Bruce Solomon. And then also um, um, A.B. Abraham. Mm-hmm. We also had um, Chitan A. Adekwe and then Van Hen. So these were key persons that formed the, um, the Fante Amambuhu Feku. And they are, like I said earlier on, their main agenda was to... Um, to challenge the dominating forces of European influences on on, on the Gold Coast culture at the time. Mm. What would you say was important about this period in Ghana's history? Now, this period was really important because the fancy um, intellectuals at the time had realized how the Europeans were gradually gaining um, roots in, in the country at the time. And you know, when when someone is moving into to dominate you very often they begin with their language mm-hmm. they begin with their culture Food. you need to eat this way Clothing. you need to exactly so they they realized that this was how they were going up so you um i mean let me bring you to present let me take you bring you back to the present state you know you see the way the chinese are mm-hmm. pushing in yeah now there are lots of schools that are teaching the Chinese language. Chinese restaurants. The Chinese restaurants and all that. So, and and the the series, um, the Chinese series and Indian series and all that on our TV stations. These are the means by which people begin to gain roots and then eventually take over. So, any serious country that really wants to be um, economically free and drive development must just not look at the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. But must look at the very soft stuff. Exactly. Because they drive consumption mm-hmm. and people's purchases and exactly. lifestyles. Exactly. So the moment you consolidate those mm-hmm. and get them right, then they gain the route to, to 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 take over. That's how it happens. So culture, as we see it, is not um, something of antiquity or anti-enlightenment. Something. No, mm-hmm. it is. It is still very. I mean, in the, in this present world, it is very, very important that we pay attention to our culture, because the moment we lose it, we begin to lose other aspects of our of, of our being. Yeah. Be it economic, be it um, and political, and all every other uh, means of surviving as a people. So there was a Fanti um, National Society. What other groups or movements were there? Was it also something which was exclusive to the Fanti areas or the major Gold Coast areas also has some of these movements and activities ongoing? Um, so there was also the gone, gone, gone Fanti movement. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's quite funny how they came by this name. Um so the gone fancy movement, also known as the the doctrine of return to native things. The doctrine. The doctrine of, of return, return to, to native na- things. Sankofa. Sankofa. Kofa Wadi. So I mean, that's um, historians have not been able to come up with the exact period this uh, movement came up, right? Mm-hmm. But the story is told of Reverend Philip Quay, who at the time was the African chaplain at the Cape Coast Castle. And he fell ill 
and he resorted to being treated with African hips and eventually he got well and when he got well the Europeans they began to tease him that you've gone back to your fancy route you've gone back to I mean native things and then also the story is told of Ahuma Atwa Ahuma mm-hmm. um, Samuel Richard Brew Solomon he, um, a story is told of him how you know he studied at um, Surrey in England Richmond um, College mm-hmm. and when he got there his host an old lady took very good care of him and after his study his return to Gold Coast he adopted the name Ato Ahoma okay. so he became known as Reverend Ato Ahoma now a British official travelled out to England and this old lady who took care of who hosted um, Ato Ahoma saw this official and asked of Ato Ahoma and Samuel Brew let me put it that way and yeah. then he, he she's told that no this guy has now changed his name to Ato Ahoma and he's now championing a certain cause that is very much unlike what you taught him here. And so the woman writes a letter to Ato Ahoma and begins to question him. So you are not grateful to to me for the things that I taught you here. This your change of um, unmentionable name. I mean, according to um, um, David Kimball, mm-hmm. he says that the woman in the letter, the woman said your name, your new name, Ato Ahoma, is unmentionable. And I mean, he, the woman sought to reprimand him. Mm-hmm. And out of his amusement, Ato Ahoma's amusement, he christened the cultural awakeness at that time as gone to fancy movement. Okay. You understand? And that was how it, it, it began. Now, the main objective of this movement was to um, push for a certain cause which was aimed at tr- going back to fancy staffs or going back to native staffs. So, because at the time, now many people were abducting um, European names. Mm-hmm. So, you have to go back to your local name because it is by means of your local name that you'll be identified. Remember yeah. Kweku? Um, Kweku took you through... Um, in the in March, yeah. you went through names and their meanings and effects on yep, the, exactly. Yep, yep. So the, these were some of the things that they were looking at. So they compiled these things, and they were intellectuals. Mind you, I've mentioned that intellectuals are the agents of cultural nationalism. Yeah. So they were the intellectuals. They had compiled these things, and they, they they wanted to push them out for the people at the time to learn about it. So that you know, when you get to learn about something, you become proud of it, and you begin to push it out there too. So they needed to make them aware that you need to go back to wearing your African print. And one thing that we need to state was that um, they did not just want the people to put on their African wear and have African names and all that. Um, 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 John Mesa Saba made an important statement that you cannot claim to want your independence when you are ignorant. Mm-hmm. Because for what reason are you seeking the independence? So let's use this example. In 1900, Governor Hudson marched his troop to the Ashanti Kingdom and is demanding for the golden steel. Assuming the Ashantis did not know the importance of the golden stool to the kingdom and they had handed over, I mean, the story would have been different by now. So they knew their history and they knew the importance of the golden stool to them. And that was what Mesa Saba and Co. were trying to do. And that is how come they they, they established the Infant Spin School to champion this this, this course. Mm. In order for the young people that were coming, because their targets were the young people, 
because they will grow to become the next exactly so if you if you got them properly socialized mm-hmm. and and well programmed mm-hmm. then everything would work exactly interesting so Samuel Richard Bruce Solomon was reprimanded for what he was doing and taking on an unmentionable name. Yes, in fact, he was. He, he the the woman said he was ungrateful. He was mm. being ungrateful. Were, were there other instances of um, what I want to term resistance to the cultural nationalism movements? Yes. So um, the Europeans came up with some ordinances, you know, to 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 more or less suppress the the movement at the time but then they they they, they like the the native customs regulation ordinance and all these things they, some of these ordinances were, were were made in order to prevent the 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 fancy intellectuals from championing this cause but no they were resolute mm-hmm. and then quite interestingly these people who were championing this cause had traveled out to study and had come back and very often it is after they are coming back that they get this awakening of you know their cultural sense how that happens i'm still here to find out so it's like you are taking out to a territory for programming mm-hmm. but you come back deprogrammed mm-hmm. <laughs> how that happens I, I i still struggle to understand that you go out there to study you come back and then all of a sudden, all of them, uh, they have removed a certain skill from your eyes. And because, you see, when there is a clash of culture, you begin to understand your own culture very well. Yeah. You compare it to the culture of other people. And you realize that it's, you know, sometimes you may, you may even conclude that yours is way better. Yours is more understandable compared to the other culture that you have yeah. come into contact with. And that was what actually led many of these returnees to champion this course of... Um, so, 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 can we simply explain it to be that when they traveled, they saw better communities and better societies, and then they would come back and they would see oppression and total control, and they would ask themselves, why is there freedom in your country? Why is there a better society in your country, but not here? Mm-hmm. Maybe that was the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Th- that can, was the main catalyst. It. That, yeah, you that can attribute it to it because you know they were they were pushing for a certain cause, like we said early on. It was one of the means by which they would they would gain route to you know take over mm-hmm. with other forms of oppression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the key foundations that led to the success of the independence struggle was cultural nationalism, right? Yes. So if if you look at all these contributions of these individuals in laying the foundation for the protests and the radical nationalism mm-hmm. in, in Ghana later, mm-hmm. would you say we have a founder or founders? I would um so with this discussion so far, mm-hmm. I would I would really love to leave it to the listeners to I mean to come up with their own judgment. But in my very own view, I think that we do not have a founder, mm-hmm. but we have founders. Yes. Yes, because like Miroslav Hirsch mentioned, cultural nationalism is the first phase of political nationalism. Mm-hmm. It is that which um 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 nationalist leaders emerged to other forms you know so let me use this example the um the fancy amembu hufeku yeah it eventually took on the form of the arps mm-hmm. they, they changed as time went on to suit the situation at the time 
So as time went on, they had in mind that they needed to preserve their land. So the future was important for them. So as events changed or as situations emerged, they adapted and fought the the, the, the situation at the time. Mm So it's we we we, we um, Hutch like Hutch mentioned like other scholars in cultural nationalism and Anthony Smith and, and Hutchinson they all mentioned that cultural nationalism is the first phase of political nationalism and that you cannot take it off any nationalism struggle especially in countries that had to go through the I mean um, colonialism and all that yeah so I mean coming back to your question I would say that we do not have a founder. I would say that we have founders because I mean just now I've mentioned about three names about four or five names plus others in the protest and others in the um, radical nationalism you understand but then also you cannot take away the fact that there were key persons who stood out in all these discussions and you cannot deny Nkrumah's role in Ghana's independence struggle now a final question for you before you go so can I say that cultural nationalism it's a continuous process that cannot be broken at any point. Not at with all. With reference to what's happening with global competition, uh, consumer attitudes, consumer trends, and even our economy. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, we cannot break. The moment we break from it, we are in crisis. Someone may say that I am, I am, I am overemphasizing it, but it is, it is, it is a real thing that is happening there. And we can as well go back to the Chinese example we, we, we mentioned early on. Mm-hmm. In fact, we need to champion this cause with everything, with every fiber in us as Ghanaians. Because once we lose our identity as Ghanaians, we are losing it of everything altogether. Thank you very much, uh, Gertrude, for your thoughts here on the show and for the insights you've shared with us today on the Heritage Month. Thank you also for listening to the Heritage Month, hashtag Heritage Month. Stay with us. There's a lot more coming for you.